What should you expect from your team this Saturday? You might as well turn on a rerun of college game day or big noon kickoff. However you get ready for your, for your college football Saturday in the fall, ready and rowdy in the fall, you might as well get to doing that this coming Saturday because we have a ton of spring football games. We're going to break down a lot of them. Texas is having one. We're going to break that one down. We have Tennessee that's got one. The orange and white game not too far from us in Knoxville about to go down. Georgia, they got their G day this Saturday, a heated heated quarterback battle going on there we're going to preview those tell you what we're watching tell you what we got to keep an eye on college football man it never stops and spring football is no exception welcome into the hard count the people show every single day we're talking ball on this beautiful platform that is the on three youtube channel we're live twice a week we appreciate y'all that are tuned in with us right now greg mcleroy about to join the program yes that greg mcleroy who usually is on your television set and Saturdays in the fall, doing a lot with the XFL right now. Former Alabama quarterback. He's got a national title ring to show for it. He came on the show, and we picked his brain about the quarterback battle going on right now in Tuscaloosa. Everybody's got an opinion. Ty Simpson's this, Jalen Milrose's that. Is one of the freshmen going to start? We asked him, hey, what is Nick Saban evaluating? What are the variables he's using to evaluate his potential next starting quarterback? He gave us a little bit of inside information in terms of what's going on right now behind closed doors as it pertains to Jalen Milrow's progress. But just a great conversation breaking down the quarterback battle, the state of Alabama football, the state of the SEC. Greg dropped some knowledge on us, so make sure you're tuned in for that conversation. But we waste no more time. We can't waste any more time. Like I said, spring football games are on and popping, and there is a very big game. Even though it's a scrimmage, even though it's a glorified practice, a very big game set to go down in Austin, Texas. So what are we watching for for the spring game? I'll start with this. Make sure you don't fall victim to the hype train. It's like no one's winning the Heisman Trophy during spring football. No spring Heismans. But still, even though you're not making absolutes, you just take a temperature of what's going on within your team. And for Texas, everybody is watching this quarterback room. We're going to talk about Arch Manning here in just a second. But I want to talk about Quinn Ewers. What kind of Quinn Ewers do we see this coming Saturday? Because everybody around that program has been talking about, hey, Quinn Ewers, man, he's in a different mode. He has elevated his game immensely. It's a different Quinn Ewers out there. From his game to chopping off the mullet, it sounds like it's a different number three out there. So the reason why this is so important is because Quinn Ewers has a lot of potential. And potential is what you could be. Like what Quinn Ewers could be is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. That's what he was billed coming out of high school, even though he left a year early. He was still one of the top guys in his cycle. And he's got a ton of potential. And so if Quinn Ewers is able to make good on what he could be, you feel a lot more confident about what Texas could be. Think about what you saw last year. There were games where he was flashing. Like that, that first quarter of the Alabama game, we were all ready to give him the Heisman Trophy. We were ready to let him park anywhere and everywhere on the 40 acres. He wants to parallel park in the Dean's spot. That's fine. Quinn Ewers, do what you want, brother. But then we also saw games against Oklahoma State where he throws 30 incompletions. We saw games where he was turning the ball over. He's making poor decisions. So from week to week, if we see consistent Quinn Ewers, how different is Texas in 2023? Because they've been building to this. We'll talk about that in a second. But for Quinn Ewers, I just want to see him rev the engine a little bit. Now, if he goes out and doesn't have a phenomenal day, we're not going to pump the brakes and say Arch Manning should be starting. We're not going to go that direction. But for Quinn Ewers, you want to see him look comfortable. You want to see him look in command. I want to see him command the offense. 
and I say it a lot on here when it comes to grading quarterbacks during the spring, I want to see him lead some scoring drives, man. I'm not going to be overly concerned if he doesn't, but I would love to see my QB1 for the Texas Longhorns get us in the paint a few times. Show me what you've been working on behind closed doors. Show me that you have had some more aha moments like Steve Sarkeesian talked about when he went into the spring. He says it's starting to make sense more and more for Quinn Ewers. He said it's like the engine's starting to finally get clicking, and it's not so much like you're driving stick shift, like it's we're good here, then we're stopping, we're sputtering out, then we're good again, then we're, we're sputtering out. He said it's more of a smooth transition for Quinn Ewers this coming season. I just want to see that in the spring game. Is that too much to ask for? Is that too much to ask for for our starting quarterback down there in Texas? So Quinn Ewers, the new and improved version of him, would love to see him sling it around. Now, Arch Manning. Let me tell you this, when he checks into the game in DKR in the spring game, forget whenever that happens in a regular season game, when it happens in the spring game, it's going to be anarchy in DKR. And can you blame anyone on the 40 acres? His last name is Manning. Like that comes with a lot of juice. That comes with a lot of expectations. I would just say this with Arch Manning. Let's just sort of hold our opinion on what he's going to be as a starting quarterback at Texas, because it's not going to be in 2023. And if it is in 2023, something has gone very, very wrong within your football team. Arch Manning is the future at Texas. I wholeheartedly believe that. No shade to Malik Murphy, but Arch Manning could be generational. I'll say this, though. Just let him progress. Just let him get his feet under him. If he makes some great plays in the spring game, awesome. Phenomenal. That means he's adjusting well. That means he's living up to his billing and he's doing some things that we expected him to do in a spring game. Phenomenal. But let's not make absolutes on Arch Manning just yet. Let's let that thing beg just a little bit. Now, the other thing I'm watching pretty closely here, we got to take stock of that defensive line. Really quickly, though, make sure you subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel. Got to talk about it, okay? It helps us just do more of what you want to see. So thank you in advance for that. Now, we got to take stock of the defensive line. And the reason why I say this is you probably aren't getting beat because of what you have on that D-line. I mean, Texas brings a lot back on defense at some really key positions. They were placed in other spots, but some key positions, they bring a lot back to Vondre Sweat being one of those guys they're really excited about. But just what is the overall feel from this spring game when you watch that defensive line? Again, I don't think you're getting beat in 2023 because of that D-line, but I think you can really win some games if you have an elite pass rusher emerge. Now, I think most people in Texas circles would tell you they believe they're probably going to go to the portal and get somebody to be that game breaker off the edge. I mean, you hope somebody jumps into the portal. That can be a game breaker for you. But there's still some guys that you should be excited about. I said you got some guys coming back. You got some freshmen, some young bucks. Ethan Burke, who could be a player for you. Another young player, Justice Finkley, he could be a player for you. They have a pretty good battle going on right now for that edge defensive end position that Texas likes to run with. What do they give you in the spring game? And it's tough to really get a gauge for this because the quarterback isn't live and you're only able to rush so close to him. There's an imaginary, what we call halo, like three-yard circle around the quarterback. If you get within that three yards, good luck. You're probably running until next Tuesday. But you hear what I'm saying. Do we see some guys get off blocks and have some what would be considered a sack in this spring game? Just taking a pulse of it. Because you got some things on the defensive line to be excited about. But if you get a pass rusher, now we're talking. Now we're cooking with peanut oil. We get a pass rusher down there in Texas. So, again, likely going to the portal, but just having some guys put some good things on tape. Your tape is your resume. You want to make a statement? You want to put a nice little bullet point on that resume? Make some plays in the spring game. The defensive line deserves a lot of attention. Now, the running back room is very, very crucial. 
It's very, very crucial because what you want to do offensively at Texas is predicated on the RPO scheme. What's the first letter in the RPO, y'all? The R. What does that stand for? Run. You have to be able to run the football to effectively execute Steve Sarkeesian's offense. You remember the bowl game? You remember the bowl game. No Roshan Johnson, no Bijan Robinson. And so what did Texas do? They aired it out like it was a Delta Airline flight. They were throwing that thing all over the yard. At times it worked, but the majority of the game, they just looked out of sorts. Why? Because they didn't have their bread and butter. They weren't able to run the football. They were unbalanced. And as good a quarterback as I think Quinn Ewers can be, you still don't have what you need at the running back position to execute effectively in that bowl game, and that's why you saw what you saw. So in the running back room, who's able to sort of separate themselves in this game? You got a lot of options. Cedric Baxter, one of the freshmen they have been raving about. Savian Red transitioned from running back to receiver. He's made some waves. I mean, early in practice, Tashar Choice, Steve Sarkeesian, they're always talking about Savian Red. Looks good in the running back room. Making a lot of plays out of the backfield. What do we see in this, in this game? Also, Keelan Robinson, the Alabama transfer. He's looked solid so far in the limited action we've seen from him at Texas. Does somebody sort of stake their claim as RB1? I think it'll be by committee, but you would love to see somebody sort of establish themselves in this game. Now, I'll say this. The wide receiver room, you have no reservations about. And the wide receiver room at Texas in this spring game, it's a lot like going to see your favorite band in concert, man. You just want to see them play the hits. Like, I, I don't worry about Xavier Worthy. I don't worry about A.D. Mitchell. I don't worry about Jontae Cook, quite frankly. I'd love to see him get some run in the spring game and do some exciting things. But I just want to see them give the people what they came to see, which is some explosive plays. And that goes hand-in-hand hand with the running back room. If you can run the football effectively, those guys are going to get a lot more real estate to work. The more real estate, the more room for Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning to deal the rock, and good things are happening on the 40 acres. So, with that being said, for Texas, we've talked about it a lot on this show. They have built to a year like this. The good people in Texas have been told, hey, be patient, give, Star, you know, give Steve Sarkeesian some time, allow him to build, allow him to get his process right. Y'all have been patient. Y'all have allowed him to take his time. Now it's time to act. Now it's time to get some ROI. You're cool with eight wins, but you're not cool with eight wins two years in a row. Greg McElroy actually has some thoughts on this as well, but I believe, and I was talking to Bobby Burton over there inside Texas, I believe this is the year where Texas needs to win double-digit football games. And the good news for Texas fans, it's very much so attainable. Now, what I would say, again, I cannot stress this enough. We're going to come in here after this spring game. We're going to break it down. We're going to give you our thoughts, give you our takeaways. This is not going to be a statement on what Texas will be in the fall. It's still a practice. It's a big game. It's a big situation. It's going to be the biggest situation we've seen Arch Manning or Cedric Baxter or John Tay Cookin. It's a big situation, but still, it's just a practice. So don't go making predictions based off what you see in this spring game. Be encouraged about the good. Understand that the bad is still getting worked through. All right? Just enjoy that we got college football back on the television. All right? So with that being said, Texas, we'll be watching that spring game. It'll be a whole lot of fun to break down, and we're going to see some freshmen one Arch Manning actually getting some real-time run in DKR. We got to talk about this. Cliff Kingsbury is reported to be joining USC staff as the senior analyst for the offense. Can we just be honest right now? Cliff Kingsbury is the GOAT for this, dude. 
Think about his timeline in the last few months. Gets fired by the Arizona Cardinals as the head coach. Gets a massive buyout. He's going to be making about $27.5 million. Says, peace out, I'm going to Thailand. And that's what anybody should do when they get handed several million dollars and fired from their job. Cool, taking a vacation with all my money that I just have coming in now. And now he's headed to work with the best quarterback in all of college football and Caleb Williams in a beautiful city in Southern California, which is Los Angeles. And if you disagree on the beautiful city part, you can't disagree that the climate is absolutely perfection. And to be working with a quarterback that is Caleb Williams, he is 1 million percent going to parlay this into another job at some point in time. Like this is the equivalent of getting, you know, the, the layup job that's going to help him get whatever his next job is. And this is not a dunk on Cliff Kingsbury. This is actually the exact opposite. To be getting this role now, Cliff Kingsbury is the GOAT. Okay, make sure you're subscribed, though, to the On3 YouTube channel. We talk ball here every single day. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, at JD Pakel. Okay, now with that out of the way, the question has to be asked, how does this change USC for 2023? What impact does this have on their next season? Because the offense is already really good. They're already going to score probably over 40 points a game yet again. They're probably going to be in the top tier of the Pac-12 yet again. So what does it change adding another offensive mind to the equation? It doesn't hurt. The way that I look at it, USC is already a really nice house, beautiful infrastructure you got a pool in the backyard got a great view from the backyard overlooking the city much like Lincoln Riley's house I believe but the reality is you just added a really great couch like hey man this is awesome couch looks good in the house but it doesn't really change the valuation of the house it doesn't probably change the way that you think about the house you're glad to have a nice couch that is Cliff Kingsbury but what is the problem with the house well the lawn doesn't look great defense doesn't look great Saw them play against Utah twice. Second time around, the defense was the issue yet again. Couldn't stop anybody. Played too late in the New Year's Six Bowl. Get embarrassed. Like USC fans, I think, would agree with this. They got embarrassed by Tulane. That was not the expectation. That's not the standard at USC for defensive football. So the lawn still has issues. I like that we added a couch, but the real problem that we had here originally still exists. Now, I think the exciting thing for USC as it pertains to that lawn is some of that has to do with strength, conditioning, and nutrition. And they sound like they're taking strides with that. Lincoln Riley has talked about it many times. He's excited about the direction that's heading. So you hope that there's maybe some positive ROI and some, some change in that department, quite frankly, with what you could do from a toughness standpoint. But the issue is still the issue. Nice to have a nice couch in the house, but the lawn still has problems. So... While it may not impact 2023, here's the footnote in the story. Here's where this, this could really be a factor. Who is USC currently recruiting pretty heavily right now? Number one quarterback in the 2024 cycle, five-star quarterback, Dylan Riola. USC's in the mix, Georgia's in the mix, Nebraska's in the mix. You add a guy like Cliff Kingsbury to the equation, it can't hurt. It can't hurt because Cliff Kingsbury has worked with Pat Mahomes, when he was at Texas Tech, and Pat Mahomes now the best player in football, period. Johnny Manziel, not in the league, but still put up numbers when he was in college. Got himself a Heisman Trophy. Case Keenum also put up numbers in college, who's still in the league. Cliff Kingsbury has a track record of working with successful quarterbacks. And oh, by the way, he's also been an NFL head coach. 
I say this all the time. If you want to get to the professional level of whatever it is, football, hotel administration, business, whatever it is, you go to the best program that's going to get you teed up to do what you want to do professionally. For USC, having Cliff Kingsbury now saying, yeah, I've been to the NFL. Yeah, I've worked with these guys. Yeah, I can get you to be successful. That might be a positive pitch for Dylan Riola. I can't imagine that hurts anything for Dylan Riola. Now, Cliff Kingsbury was at USC at one point in time as the OC, finds himself right back in Los Angeles working with Lincoln Riley. I think it's a good thing. Is it monumental? No. Is it a good thing, especially on the recruiting trail with Dylan Riola? I think so. It's a nice pitch to make. So Cliff Kingsbury headed to USC. Going to be the senior analyst for the offense, working with the QBs. Will undoubtedly parlay that into another job at some point in time in the future. But the Trojans have another offensive mind in that meeting room. Greg McElroy sat down with us, gave us his thoughts on Alabama, Alabama quarterback battle, told us how Nick Saban's going to pick a starter. We won't waste too much more time. Without further ado, here's Greg McElroy. And we're now joined by the man, the myth, the legend, college football analyst for ESPN, Greg McElroy. Greg, I want to start right here because we had your co-host, Cole Kublik, on not too long ago. Auburn grad, obviously. How much Iron Bowl smack talk is there for y'all on a week-to-week basis? Uh, it's quite a bit. Um, to be completely transparent, we've been on the winning side for a while, so... Cole is one of my best friends and I really try to be as understanding as I can about how delicate that can be. I mean, after all, when I got to Alabama, we were at that point uh, in the midst of a four game losing streak to Auburn. And I know how agonizing losses number five and loss number six was for us. Um, so I, I try to be respectful of that and knowing that my granddad is also an Auburn grad, anything I throw at him, uh, I know is going to come back a, a little bit harder than the way I threw it at him. So, uh, I try to be respectful, but yeah, there's, there's a decent amount of banter on a pretty regular basis, more so with other sports, football, not as much, but with basketball, with gymnastics, with baseball, softball, what have you, that's really where, uh, our true colors start to come out. That's very considerate of you, then. Not creating a hostile work environment for your co-host. That seems like just a, a just good overall move by you. I just want HR to get involved. You know, I mean, like HR getting involved because of a hostile work environment wouldn't be good for anybody. Bad news. Bad news on all fronts. Well, let, let's start here. Everybody and anybody is interested in the quarterback battle going out of Alabama. To put it, to put it lightly, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, a couple of freshmen in there. Do you have a feel on that as it pertains to a leader in the clubhouse right now? No, I, I think one thing that, that we need to first take into account, what, what is Alabama's offense going to be? What do they want to be? Um, that's probably the trickiest part of, of the evaluation process as they're breaking in a new offensive identity with Tommy Reese coming down from Notre Dame. I get the sense, just having been around Tommy uh, and having gotten to know Tommy, uh, he wants to step on your face with a hobnail boot. That's, that's who he is. And he wants to run the ball downhill. He wants to have a team that practices and emphasizes being physical along the line of scrimmage. That's, that's who he is. And that's the way his Notre Dame teams played. So I think in order to first understand the quarterback competition, we must first look at the, the offensive identity that they're going to lean on and what their points of emphasis 
will be. Now, based on all accounts, um, Jalen Milrow's taken a lot of really nice strides forward this spring. And I would say because of his athleticism and knowing how many off-schedule plays have occurred, not just for Alabama, but across college football, that athleticism, that explosiveness being you know, arguably the most gifted guy with the ball in his hands on the entire roster, that would go a long way in allowing him to keep hold of that starting quarterback job. But there are issues because sometimes when you let someone down and you have a, a disappointing performance as it relates to ball security, those are difficult things to forget. And that's a, a difficult narrative to adjust. That was clearly something he struggled with last year. Five turnovers in limited playing time. The team by itself, I think, only had 18. So he accounted for roughly a third uh, of the turn. I think it was 16, actually. He accounted for roughly a third uh, of those turnovers. And the most obvious examples of those would have been against AM. So I think that is going to be a difficult thing for him to shake. But his athleticism, I think, does give him an advantage over Ty Simpson, knowing that if a play breaks down, he can still potentially take it the distance. And you said it a little bit in terms of the scheme they're going to run offensively with so so many people had an opinion on what Bill O'Brien did do or didn't do last year, and, and that's all hindsight. When you look to what they will be offensively under Tommy Reese, does Ty Simpson maybe have a little bit more of a tailored skill set to that scheme in general in your mind? I think it's a very fair parallel to draw, uh, just seeing what Tommy Reese has gone with in the past. Um obviously last year with Drew Pine, but it's important to recall that Drew Pine was not the starter coming out of fall camp. That that designation went to, to Tyler Buckner, who is more like Jalen Milrow than he is Drew Pine, or than he is Ty Simpson, excuse me, being a guy that's going to heavily emphasize the run game in his own right and has a lot of raw horsepower. Uh, and then you look back to Ian Book too. Ian Book, I thought, was a very underappreciated player, did a lot of little things, was a much more effective runner than people would probably remember. Um, so I, I think when you look at what Tommy Reese was as a player, you naturally draw inclinations. Well, he wants to kind of lean more into the prototypical pocket passer that's going to be able to get in and out of run checks, be able to get in and out of run-to-pass audibles and and adjustments like that those are all possibilities and those are all things that he's leaned on in the past but i don't think that's going to be carbon copy of of what he's going to be at alabama when you become the oc at alabama you learn the offense that nick saban knows and you implement your own plays with that vernacular so i, I first of all i think bill o'brien gets a really bad rap um they had Bryce Young. The offensive line was a liability, and and it was for two years under his leadership. And there's only so much that you can do. Everyone's like, why don't you run the ball? Why don't you run the ball? Well, every time you run the ball, you take the ball out of Bryce Young's hands. So when you build the offense around your best player and you build the offense around the quarterback in particular, you're going to sacrifice toughness. Uh, I don't care what the circumstances are. You want to build offense around a quarterback you're going to sacrifice line of scrimmage emphasis. And if you emphasize RPO, run pass option, you're probably not going to be as good in the run game because the offensive lineman can't fire off the ball with the same level of intensity, knowing that if they get beyond three yards when the ball is released, guess what? It's an illegal man downfield. So I think RPO-centered offense has a place in football naturally, but if you really want to win along the line of scrimmage, it can't be your bread and butter. 
uh, it has to be your changeup to what is hopefully an excellent fastball. And I think they went really in the RPO direction under Tua Tagovailoa. They went back to a little bit more prototypical hard play action run game with Mac Jones and standard drop back with Mac Jones. And they went obviously standard drop back with Bryce Young, but with the offensive line breaking down the way they did at times over the last couple of years, it kind of took away from what he could do all the time. So I think Bill O'Brien gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, I think he was an excellent play caller, but I do think the offense took a couple steps back in areas where they had traditionally been great. And that's why I think most Bama fans were frustrated with his tenure. Greg, you played quarterback for Nick Saban. Also got a national championship under Nick Saban. So you know a thing too about playing quarterback for the GOAT. What are some of the key factors he's evaluating these guys during spring practice and into fall camp to be the starting quarterback at Bama? Well, he really focuses a lot on uh, a physical skill set is obvious, right? You, you've got to be able to throw it accurately. You've got to be able to throw it with enough velocity to make all the throws and to put stress into the defense in every square inch of the field. So those are non-starters. If you can't do that, you got no shot. I mean, it's it's not even don't even don't choose Alabama. <laughs> you know, it's just not, it's not going to happen. Um, so same reason why, you know, he's not going to recruit a five, eight corner that runs four, eight. It's just, that's you have to have a certain skill set to play there. So that goes without saying the next part is decision-making. You have to understand where you fit within the scheme. You have to understand what you can do and can't do because anytime you put the defense in a short field situation, that's obviously going to be a problem uh, and an, even more so of a problem because your head coach is cut from a defensive cloth. The other thing that he, I think, evaluates probably as well as anybody is the gravitational force that is the quarterback position. And you have to have a specific personality to play for him. He's going to be tough on you. There's no denying that. That's a good thing. I mean, some guys welcome it. Some guys shy away from it. I, for one, and I think pretty much everyone that's played for him welcomes the wrath that comes when you walk to the sideline after making a bad play. You, you just have to. You know it's coming. It is what it is. Uh, but also at the same time, he evaluates as well as anybody. Because if you think back over the course of his tenure, how many times has he made the wrong decision? At quarterback specifically. You could say, well, 17, he should have started Tua over Jalen. Jalen was, he had won, gosh, what, 30 games as a starter? Or 28 games as a starter? 26 games as a starter? up until that 2017 national championship game when he was pulled at halftime, he hasn't made mistakes at the position. I mean, he's done a pretty good job and ultimately has gone with the right guy each and every year, dating all the way back to 2007 when he, when he got to Tuscaloosa. So I think he recognizes who is the guy that the players are playing for. Who is the guy that the offensive line is going to block just a little bit longer for? Who's the guy that after he comes out of the game or after he gets through with his six practice reps that he's going to run in a row, who's the guy that the wide receivers are gravitating towards to have conversations with? He always describes it as, I want someone to win the team. And when the guy wins the team, then the decision is made. Because the players are going to follow the best player, but they're also going to follow the best leader. And that becomes evident as you get through the thousands of reps that you will in both spring summer and in fall camp and you were a part of the team that ended up you know dropping one to utah and then coming back the next year and winning a national title and it feels like every so often 
the national media wants to say, us, oh, you know, the game's past Saban by, or, oh, maybe he doesn't still have the juice anymore. And then right when that happens, he ends up winning a national title the next season. In your estimation, what's going on right now internally after Alabama is, is supposedly falling apart after losing two games by like one point? <laughs> well, I think, I think at, I think externally people are saying, well, Alabama's not what they've been because a lot of people are focusing on, well, they only lost a couple games by a very thin margin, but they only won a couple games by a very thin margin as well. So people are looking at it on both sides of the coin, which I think is fair and understandable. But I, I would say, man, if, if you bet against them and if you, if you doubt Nick Saban's process, I think you need to be prepared to eat crow. I mean, I just, I will always feel that way. Uh, maybe that's blind loyalty. Maybe that's just a trust in the program, but I've seen guys come and go, players come and go, coaches come and go, coordinators come and go, and the expectation and the standard remains the same. Now, winning a national championship is hard. And I think a lot of people around Tuscaloosa and around you know, the state of Alabama and, and around the Southeast, they said, look at it. Well, if you don't win the championship, it's a lost year. Bryce Young told us that last year in person on our radio show said, Hey, last year was a failure. We lost in the national championship. It's like, no, it's not <laughs> to me. That's not a failure. Look, ultimately, yes, you want to win the national championship. I'm not going to tell anybody to settle. I'm not going to tell anyone to be happy with a 10 and three. No, absolutely not. You want to win the national championship, but there's only one out of 132 that can do that every year. So if your expectations and or your success is determined exclusively by bringing home a national championship trophy, you're going to be let down a whole lot more than you're excited. And, and I think that I'm not trying to say that, that people need to have to reset their expectations, but I think they need to understand that a national championship is not a birthright. It, it has to be earned and it's very difficult to achieve. So I, they're going to be in the mix. They're, they're always in the mix. It's just when those games get close, like they did at times last year, will they be able to make the two-minute drive? Will they be able to go down the field in a 15-play drive, taking seven minutes off the clock to beat Auburn on the road? Will they be able to climb out of a hole and ultimately be the team that has the lead when the clock strikes zero? Those are the things, because the margins compared to what they were are smaller. You can't deny that. But it doesn't mean that they don't have the goods to make a run yet again in 23, 24, 25, 26, and beyond. And Greg, you said something that I think is fascinating. The margins, especially in the SEC right now, feel pretty small. Because, I mean, Georgia's back-to-back -back national champs, but then you have Tennessee, who seems like they're surging. LSU in year two under Brian Kelly, they're surging. Alabama's still Alabama, as far as I'm concerned. How wide open is the SEC in your mind? Well, I mean, not mentioned there is LSU, uh, who going into year two under Brian Kelly, a team that really overachieved last year. Uh, I think the sky's the limit, right? I mean, you should feel very excited around Baton Rouge about about what comes back and and understanding that even though some of the guys that depart the program aren't ultimately going to hurt the program because of their departure. So uh, I think LSU is a team that's that's on the rise. And if you look at it, just tell me how many teams right now in the SEC don't feel like the arrow is pointing up. Because there, there's not many. Uh, I think if you go across the board, Vanderbilt, arrow pointing up. I mean, the traditionals where you're like, I don't know, Vanderbilt's better under Clark Lee than they were under Derek Mason at the end of his tenure. 
Kentucky right now, in comes Devin Leary, back comes Liam Cohen. Arrow feels like it might be pointing up. Tennessee, Arrow feels like it's pointing up. South Carolina, Arrow feels like it's pointing up. Florida would be one where you're like, I don't, I'm not really sure right now, but last year after you get drubbed by four touchdowns against Oregon State, not sure you can go any lower than that if you're the Florida Gators. Now the schedule's tough this year, and ultimately you might have to go down just a little bit before you start to ramp up, but that's all part of the natural process of building a program at the foundational level. AM can't get any worse than they were last year. Arrows pointing up. Uh, Ole Miss, a little bit of a question mark. I, I think I mean, last year they were a question mark and somehow found a way to be pretty dang competitive, especially knowing that they lost so many pieces off of one of the best teams in program history. Mississippi State's a bit of a question mark, but you got to think the arrow might be pointed up. Uh, they've done a pretty good job defensively the last couple of years. Now they're going to complement that defense with a quality run game with what they bring in now with uh, a new offensive coordinator that's going to be a little bit more balanced. Missouri feels pretty steady. I mean, to me, I, I think you'd have to honestly work hard to find teams throughout the footprint right now that don't feel like things are getting better. Auburn, things feel like they're getting better. I think everyone feels like they're on the upswing. Now, ultimately, you can't win every game. I mean, they got to play each other. So it's going to come down to matchups. But I think if you asked or were to take the temperature of most fan bases in the SEC, they all feel pretty good about where they're at. And I think most of them probably feel like the best is in front of them. And Greg, two other schools you could add to that and will add to that in 2024 is Texas and Oklahoma. I think those two fan bases also feel like they've got a really exciting future ahead of them, even before they get to the SEC. Now, you played your high school football in the state of Texas, so I want to get your thoughts on this before we get you out of here. Who is better positioned to win the SEC upon arrival, Texas or Oklahoma? So much of it is matchup based. You know what I mean? Like I'd love to be able to tell you holistically, hey, this program right now, Texas has more talent on the roster. Um, but you know, it depends. I mean, if they draw LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee in their first year, like things aren't going to go well for the Longhorns. <laughs> like I think both are in for a little bit of a difficult transition. Um, for instance, look back at when Missouri and Texas A&M joined the league. The league was not as strong in 2012 as it is now. Hence why Missouri backdoored their way into not one, but two SEC championships. Florida with Treon Harris started a game in the SEC championship. I mean, I mean, we're talking about an SEC East that is in some ways unrecognizable back in the mid 2010s. So little different era, but I do think Texas... And Steve Sarkeesian has an understanding of what it needs to look like. And of course, they're going to be active in the NIL world. They're going to be active in the portal world. And I think they actually probably have the best roster returning in the Big 12. So the transition for Texas should be okay. But will they immediately ascend to the top of the league? I have a difficult time forecasting that. I'm also very optimistic on Oklahoma because much like what we just talked about with AM, it can't get worse than it got last year. That was the worst Oklahoma team, arguably, of my lifetime. And I am born in 88, but I don't remember Oklahoma before 98. So it literally is the worst Oklahoma team in my lifetime. They're going to be back. I mean, they are a tremendous athletic department. Uh, and Brent Venables, 
he's already knows how to recruit. They've gone after the portal. He recognized quickly where their deficiencies were. Hey, let's go get some D linemen. Hey, let's go make sure that we, we have a, a young quarterback to learn under Dylan Gabriel. They're going to be well more well-versed in Jeff Levy's system. Like I'm, I'm very optimistic about both Oklahoma and Texas this year. Uh, so I'm expecting, I know Texas didn't have a down year last year by any stretch, but I'm expecting them to be at the top of the big 12 this year, probably a, maybe flirting with 10 wins. Wouldn't shock me. And I would be shocked if Oklahoma is not, you know, somewhere between, you know, eight and nine wins uh, in year number two for Brent Venable. So I think both are positioned well to transition, but it's really going to come down to who they draw in their permanent crossovers and what things look like uh, with some of their home and away games in those first couple of years. That neutral site, the Red River, seeing Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. Man, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Well, Greg, appreciate you making time, man, with all that you got going on with the XFL and getting ready for spring games. Appreciate you joining us and uh, looking forward to connecting in the fall, brother. No, absolutely. Thanks again for having me, man. Appreciate you. Greg McElroy joining us again. We appreciate him. Take some time talking to the Alabama quarterback battle. I was very intrigued to hear what he had to say about Saban and how he treats that quarterback position, how there has to be a gravitational pull. That was fascinating. It kind of goes without saying, but with Nick Saban expressing it the way that he does and Greg McElroy interpreting it that way, I thought it was fascinating. I'm excited to watch that one go into the fall, you would imagine, with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson going back and forth. Jalen Milrow, it sounds like, according to Greg McElroy and a lot of other people around Alabama, is gaining some steam. We're, again, we're not making a pick here right now. You believe you me, we're not picking right now, but that's just interesting to kind of take a pulse and, okay, Jalen Milrow is uh, doing some good things in spring football. You love to see it. Now, with spring football on and popping, as we have said throughout the entirety of this whole spring season, Tennessee's got their spring game this coming Saturday. The orange and white game, I'm fired up, man. This is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. So what do we need to preview? What do we need to take an extra close look at as we get closer and closer to that spring game? Everybody in Knoxville knows this. Secondary has got to get better. It has to get better. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that it was just abysmal last year. Now, statistically, it was abysmal. I mean, 287 yards a game allowed, that's very bad. But also, people that just throw that stat out there, I don't think you're giving the proper context. Tennessee's offense runs a whole lot of plays. And so, by nature of the offense scoring so much, you allow a lot more drives for the opposing offense. Okay, so with that out of the way, what I want to see from the secondary in the spring game, I want to see them trade punches with the Tennessee offense, which sounds sort of simplistic, but think about it this way. This might be the best offense that the Tennessee secondary will play all year long. That's not to say anything of Georgia, not to say anything of Alabama, but for Tennessee secondary, they're playing against a Ferrari of an offense that goes fast and throws the football downfield a lot. I just want to see them swing back a few times. I don't need to have them just play lockdown the whole day because, I mean, Tennessee's offense is probably going to get theirs if we're being real. Squirrel White probably going to get his. We'll talk more about that receiver room here in just a second. I want to see them make some plays on the football. I want to see them, heck, maybe even get an interception on the young quarterback, Nico Iamaliava. Make some plays in this spring game. And it sounds sort of general, but what that would do for your defense just as a player when you make some plays in an 11-on-11 setting, that's not a drill. That's not one-on-ones. It is real deal football. And so to have that in your back pocket where you can look back at the tape and say, yeah, I can hang, that does something for your confidence, man. It does something to have a little bit of extra pep in your step, to have some swag. And in this game, y'all, self-belief, confidence, swag, that is everything. You have to believe in yourself to be able to be effective. 
Now, I'm not saying the Tennessee secondary doesn't believe in themselves, but I'm saying make some plays in the spring football game. It ain't hurt. It ain't hurt nothing if you make some plays in the spring football game. So keep an eye on that. Trading punches for this secondary, I think it's important overall. Now, make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're subscribed right here on the On3 YouTube channel. We talk ball every single day. Tennessee fans, when this game concludes, I promise you, we will have our thoughts for you on the back end. So make sure you're locked in right there. Now, when it comes to the wide receiver room, I don't have any concerns, but the fact remains there is some production that was left behind by Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman that needs to be accounted for. How much production, you ask? Well, 18 touchdowns, over 100 receptions, over 1,500 yards. You get the gist. Somebody's got to step up and be an alpha dog. I'm not worried about who it's going to be. I'm just worried about what they look like during the spring game. You got Brew McCoy, Jalen Hyatt, Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White, also Deontay Thornton, transfer from Oregon, a guy they're pretty excited about. Big catch radius, moves pretty well. Really flashed at the end of the year last year for the Ducks. Like, there's some guys now in this room that can make some plays for you. So whether they have 100 yards receiving and a couple touchdowns, like, that'd be nice, right? It'd be a good look. But overall, just what kind of formations are they running in? What kind of groupings are we seeing these guys out there? Do we see Squirrel White on the outside as well as in the slot? Where's Ramel Keaton lining up? How are we lining these guys up? I want to see that. Because this Tennessee offense, it's like NASCAR. Goes fast, you have a lot of tire changes. Tire changes being the equivalent of playing a lot of different personnel in that wide receiver room. When you go so fast and you run so many routes, you get tired. Like, that's just human nature. You're going to get tired when you run as many plays as Tennessee does. So depth at this position is extremely important. We know Brew McCoy can go. We know Squirrel White can go. We've seen Ramel Keaton do it. What do they look like in the spring game? Just taking a pulse, taking a temperature. What do they look like in the spring game? And in what variation are they running? Now, here's the thing that is probably going to get the most of the attention during the orange and white game, and deservedly so. How should we assess this quarterback room? I, I got some thoughts for you here. Because Joe Milton absolutely balled out in the Orange Bowl. Think about it this way. Whenever he has his first overthrow of the day, if he has one, everybody and their mother is going to say, well, there it is. Old, old Joe Milton is back. We knew that was coming. Hey, Joe Milton is not accurate. That narrative is going to run for miles outside of Knoxville. The word of caution. Do not let whatever he does in this spring football game, in practice 15, I should say, don't let that make you forget what he did in the Orange Bowl. Let me remind you, in the Orange Bowl, he went 19 for 28, 68% completion percentage. Translation, he was accurate. Three touchdowns, no picks, 251 yards. Joe Milton can play the position. And if he can't play the position, we're not going to find out in the spring football game. Okay, I would much rather trust what I saw in the biggest stage in a New Year's Six Bowl game where Joe Milton steps in with no, J no Jalen Hyatt, no Cedric Tillman against a good Clemson team, did his thing. Trust that sample size. Don't put too much weight into the spring game. Be excited about the spring game when he makes some good plays. Applaud that. Be encouraged by that. But you're not finding out anything new about Joe Milton from practice 15. Joe Milton is tried and true. Been through the fires and the flames of adversity. Been benched twice. He's built for this now. He has earned his shot at this thing. So just take the good with Joe Milton. If you see some bad, let's not get up in arms. Now the guy who's going to get a ton of attention this spring game is Nico Yamaliava. Yamaliava. How about that? our first error of the day when it comes to that pronunciation. He's, re he's really young, really talented, really raw. 
He's talented, as all get out. He was the number one player for us here at On3 in the entire 2023 cycle. Translation, he's going to be really good in Knoxville for a really long time. What I just said, he's young and very talented. Expect him to play like that in the spring game. He's going to make some throws that make your jaw drop and say, wow, how did he get it over there? How did he see that safety and fit it in between the corner? He's going to have some plays like that. To the same token, expect him to have some plays where you see his youth show. He's been on campus for like 15 minutes, dude. Give him a break. Let him develop. Let him get comfortable in the college life. Let him get comfortable in this offense. This will be the biggest spot that he has played in. Televised game. Neyland will be bumping, I bet. This is going to be a big spot for him. Allow him to make some mistakes and allow him to make some good throws. Just kind of take the good with the bad, what I always say. Now, if he balls out, if he does some really good things, let's say he has a better day than Joe Milton statistically. Let's say Nico throws for three touchdowns, has two incompletions, and he just steals the headlines in the spring game. Don't start this quarterback battle chatter. I'll say this right now. We won't do it on this show, even if Nico throws for five touchdowns and no incompletions. We will not start the whole, is there a QB controversy brewing in Knoxville? We're not going to do that here. We just won't. You want to know why? Because with Nico Yamaliava, there is inevitably going to be growing pains. Unless he is just the statistical anomaly of all anomalies, there is going to be growing pains. And for Tennessee, they don't need to account for growing pains in 2023. This team is built to win right now. And Joe Milton has, like I said, weathered the storm, paid his dues, as experienced as it comes in terms of being a college football player. He gives you the best chance to win football games just by nature of experience and by nature of his physical tools. Nico is the future in Knoxville. I can't stress that enough. He is going to be your quarterback for a really long time. But when he plays well in the spring game, if he has a better day, don't say, hey, it's Nico's offense. That's all we need to see. There's a lot more going into this than just one football game. And that is not to say anything less of Nico Yamaliava. He is going to be a stud. I fully believe that. But right now, it's Joe Milton time. You don't need to put up with the growing pains of a true freshman quarterback. You got someone that can win games for you right now. So the spring game is going to be a whole lot of fun in Knoxville, the orange and white game. I'm fired up, man. It's going to be a good time. We're going to watch that one and give you our thoughts like I just said. A lot to keep a pulse on with Tennessee as they're going to challenge, I believe, for the SEC. Now, who they got to knock off? The Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia is set to have their G-Day. This will be on ESPN2. So everybody and their mother will be watching the dogs. There is a lot to watch with this one. And everybody, anybody and everybody is watching this quarterback battle. Gunnar Stockton's going to factor in. But I really want to see Carson Beck versus Brock Vandergriff. The thing that I'm watching, what is the efficacy of what they do best? And what I mean by that is when we watch Carson Beck, what he does well, he wheels and deals like nobody else. He just can spray the football around the yard. We saw it firsthand at the national title game in garbage time. Dude can absolutely sling the rock. What's the conversation around his skill set versus Brock Vandergriff's, who's a really good athlete and can run the football really well and does a lot with his legs? Is it, man, Beck's arm, it just changes the way that we call this offense. Like, we can just do some things with Carson Beck at quarterback we can't do with Brock Vandergriff. I mean, he can stretch the field. He can throw the deep ball like nobody's business. Carson Beck and his arm talent is a difference maker for us at Georgia. Do we see that in the spring game? Or is it more of a, hey, both guys can throw the ball pretty well. There is no question 
They are both capable passers. If you had to give an edge, you'd probably give it to Carson Beck throwing the football. But I'll tell you what, man, we do that zone read stuff. Even though Carson Beck's not, or excuse me, even though Brock Vandergriff's non-contact, when we run those quarterback design runs, he gets out in space. That's just something that's too good to leave off the field, man. When 12 tucks it in runs, we are a different offense. Do we see a version of that in the spring game? It sounds like Brock Vandergriff, according to people at Georgia, is starting to turn the corner. David Pollock came on this very show and told us it is Carson Beck's job to lose. So he started more or less as the front runner. You would imagine as much based on the fact that he got the garbage reps against TCU. But Carson, I keep getting mixed up. Carson Beck is the front runner. Brock Vandergriff right behind him starting to gain some ground. I think his legs could be the difference maker. How much they let him run in the spring game, we'll see. Keep an eye on how that offense looks. I keep saying this, who leads touchdown drives? I won't bore you with that again, but who leads touchdown drives? Something that we got to keep an eye on. Make sure you're locked right here. College football every single day. Make sure you're subscribed. Georgia fans, we're going to talk a lot about your dogs now. Make sure you're locked in right here. You found your spot. Now, there's another position battle going on at Georgia. Doesn't get quite as much buzz as the quarterback battle does for obvious reasons. The quarterback's the quarterback. But the cornerback position, not the quarterback, the cornerback position, cornerback two position, rather, got a dogfight going on, no pun intended. Kamari Lasseter is more or less your comfortable quarter, cornerback one with Keely Ringo departing for the NFL. So he got behind him. You got Nylon Green, A.J. Harris, Julian Humphrey, Dalen Everett, Smoke Bowie, all jockeying for that cornerback two spot. And the beautiful thing about the spring game is it is real 11-on-11 football. It is real competition. And I want to see somebody separate because here's the thing about football and just competition in general when it comes to situations like these. This is the beautiful thing about it. Nothing gets misinterpreted. In practice, you know, position drills, sometimes it's, ah, that was a good rep there, but it would have gone differently in the game. In one-on-one battles, it's, uh, you know, in in, in one-on-one reps with wide receiver versus corners during individual drills, it's, you know, that could have been pass interference. I would have caught that if, ah, the safety would have made the play if. In 11-on-11, man, it is black and white. Either you did or you did not. Like Yoda says, do or do not. There is no try. And in the spring game, we get to see that clear as day. There's no, yeah, but, there's no, ah, what if, there's no, the safety could have, you did or you didn't, brother. Which one of these guys, which one of these four-star guys that I just mentioned, because all five of them are four-stars, which one of them put something on tape for their resume? Now, there's a growing consensus that Nylon Green is jockeying right now for those first-team reps. Sounds like he got some one reps at their previous scrimmage. So we like where he stands with that battle right now. But I'm telling you, a good spring game for this position group, put it on tape, man. Your tape is your resume when it comes to football. The other thing that you're all excited about, that I'm excited about too, that we've talked about on this show, the new faces that are set to get rolling in Athens. That's why spring is so fun because you're not running Brock Bowers 30 reps. Like we'll see Brock Bowers maybe for a series or two. Cool, number 19 still that dude. Let's roll. I want to I see Lawson Lucky get after it, man. Lawson Lucky, the freshman tight end, had three touchdowns in one of their previous scrimmages one of these past Saturdays. Like, dude has just been getting after it and making a ton of plays. Kirby Smart said he's still got some ways to go, but he's bought in. He's going to be a good player for us, if I'm reading between the lines there. I, wanna, I know about Brock Bowers. I want to see about Lawson Lucky. I know about Smile Munden. I want to see about C.J. Allen. I want to see what he does on the football field. How does he read and react in a game-like scenario? 
One of the things that we loved about him here at On3, his processing. He doesn't get too caught up with blocking schemes, and he doesn't have bad eyes, which is something you see sometimes with young linebackers that are really athletic, smart football player. How does he read and react in 11 on 11? How does he react when he's got a pulling guard coming at him and he's between the hedges with a bunch of screaming fans at G-Day? How do you respond in this kind of situation? Because you and I both know this. Georgia has had the best players, yes, but even more than that, what if they had? Depth. Depth is what wins you national titles. Depth is the reason why Georgia has won the SEC title last year and then gone back-to-back the last two years for the Natty. That's the difference maker. Because who made a big-time sack in the college football playoff? Freshman, Michael Williams, coming off the edge, taking C.J. Stroud to school. That's the difference maker. Because Brock Bowers is going to get you there. One of these quarterbacks, they're going to get you there. They're going to get you in the door. They're going to put you in that top 5% of the college football landscape. But the depth, the new faces, I'm excited to see what they do. Now, selfishly, I'd love to see Arian Smith, the wide receiver, have kind of a light bulb moment in this spring game. He is a legend when it comes to Georgia football in terms of what he's done behind closed doors and how much potential he has in his track speed. If he could be the deep threat we need him to be in Athens, could be a good deal for Georgia. So that's the Georgia spring game. That's the G-Day on ESPN2, no less. Going to be a lot of fun to watch that. Now, hold up here. I got to take a quick cough break. (coughs) All right, and we're good. Adapt, improvise, overcome. Now, welcoming back the man, the myth, the legend. Pride of Owensboro, Kentucky. The heavy lifter, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, my guy? What's up, man? Hey, first uh, question of the day coming from... At Nolan D. Foster, what is one win in the SEC worth in the ACC? I don't like this question. Man, I saw this, and this was just so controversial. We had to talk about it on here. This is is just baiting us into saying something controversial. Now, we're not going to take the bait here because, to answer your question directly, one win in the SEC is worth one win in the ACC. That's just how it works. But there is definitely a perception when it comes to the college football playoff of your schedule and strength of record and strength of wins, and you and I both know this. Here's the interesting thing, though. I told you one win in the ACC, same as one win in the SEC. I think most people would agree with that. But when it comes to the 12-team playoff, this is going to be accentuated. And this is why we, we, we may see, not may, this is why we are going to see a lot of other teams in the mix here when it comes to that whole conversation. So one win in the SEC versus the ACC, uh, they're the exact same. Yeah. Love it. Love it, Nick. What else yeah. we got, big dog? Uh, last one coming from at jpinion25. Uh, will Jonathan Brooks and Cedric Baxter be enough to replace Bijan and Roshan for Texas to make a Big 12 title run? The good news is I don't think those are the only cats that will be in the mix. Savian Red is a guy that we've talked about a lot on this show that Texas coaches have been super high on. Keelan Robinson, Jaden Blue, they've been making some progress. So, are those two guys alone enough? Uh, if that's all you had, I'd say, well, let's you know have a little bit more of a conversation here. But there is a lot of depth in that running back room, and that is the key to Texas's offense getting off the ground. To have the pass option, you got to run the rock, and they got a couple guys that can run the rock on top of a Jonathan Brooks, on top of a Cedric Baxter. So be encouraged, because for Texas, the expectation is Big 12 title or bust. Now I've tried to temper those expectations as much as possible. I think if you just make the Big 12 title game. That should be enough to continue to be excited and continue to trust the, the Steve Sarkeesian process. But, yeah, man, there's expectations in Texas. 
news. I mean, there always is every single year, but this year I think there's a lot more people that would typically keep from drinking the Texas Kool-Aid that are saying, you know what, give me a glass of that. Text to the Big 12 title game. So we'll see what happens. We'll predict it when it gets here. But is Jonathan Brooks and Cedric Baxter enough? No. Good news, it's by committee. So that's what we got there, Nick. Anything else, Big Dog? Anything else in the chat popping off? Um, in the chat, not really. We've All right. had a quiet no day today. There um, it is, baby. Uh, Briley said in the near future, LSU, Bama, Georgia, Tennessee are all difference makers. Oklahoma, Texas are wild cards. Florida and Vander or Vanderbilt are the seller. Everyone else is playing spoiler uh, in regards to uh, what we were talking about during that great interview earlier. Florida and Vanderbilt in yeah. the cellar? I don't, I, know, I don't know if I buy that, man. Vanderbilt is scratching and clawing their way out. Something brewing on West End. But to say that Florida's in the cellar right now, <laughs> I, I have listen, Vanderbilt beat Florida, so it's hard to really to take too much of a case for Florida right now. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, Florida, just look at the roster. Look at how they've recruited. They are not in the same playing field as Vanderbilt when it comes to projecting towards the future. Say what you want about 2022, but Vanderbilt and Florida, I don't believe are on the same landscape right now. Like Greg McElroy said, though, Arrow probably pointing up for both institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, would, and Hayes would you here, man. Would you agree here? Uh, of course. Okay, <laughs> all right. Put, make put it sure. Florida in the cellar. I don't care how bad they were last year or anything, but yeah. That's a, that's a Southern thing, man, to keep an alligator in the cellar. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, Nick. yeah, I've seen the movie Crawl. I know not to do that. Is that in a movie? It, yeah, that's where the whole movie takes place with the alligators. Okay. Crawl, add it to the list. Nick, appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Again, Nick Brake, the heavy lifter extraordinaire, making everything that you see here happen a one-man band. Y'all, we appreciate you locking with us. Greg McElroy, we thank him again for his time. Drop us some knowledge on us. I'll say this one more time. Make sure you're subscribed here. We put it out on podcasts, on Apple, and on Spotify so you can listen to it back later. But getting in on these live shows, that's what really makes this fun, to have live interaction. We go to the live chat. We go to my Twitter page. We hear from y'all. That's the beautiful thing about this community. So we appreciate y'all, man. We love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.